From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Talking about issues and coming up with solutions. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And how quick did we get back here? How quick did we get back to the working week? I hope you enjoyed your weekend. Um, I worked most of mine. And um, oh, by the way, for those of you, and I had a bunch of emails asking me how my mum was uh, via uh, a few different sources. And she had her operation today and apparently it went well. So I just thought I'd let those of you who did inquire about that know. And I'm pretty happy about that. Just found that out. 10 minutes ago myself. A big thank you to Chris Smith. Uh, hopefully he had a good weekend too. He'll be back tomorrow here at TNT. And don't forget, at the end of this hour, we're going to have someone brand new. Sonia Paulton will be up after me next hour. So stay tuned for that as well today. Now, certainly lots to talk about with Australia Day coming up. I mean, I'm absolutely fed up with uh, these companies using every opportunity they get to rain down on Australia Day. We're not going to have it here. Certainly some people are very upset with the Brisbane Woolworths store being vandalised with graffiti. I mean, I would suggest graffiti probably wasn't that bad. Not that I'm advocating anyone do anything worse. I'm just saying uh, when I did see vandalised and I found it was only graffiti, I was uh, the word's not disappointed. The word was shocked. I thought it probably would have been something uh, far worse. And all it simply was, was on the side of the building, it says, uh, it's very hard to read, to be honest. It's uh, something something about Australia Day being closed, Woolies, blah, blah, blah. But it's all to do with Australia Day and the 26th. And we all know that's the day that we would like to keep it. An overwhelming no to those who get a little bit upset. And again, I would ask that you all get onto that Action for Alice Facebook page because what you are shown in the media about what happens in some of these uh, Indigenous communities, if you want to call them that, it is horrific. It is absolute lawlessness on a scale you cannot imagine. I mean, the main street is just empty. You wouldn't park your car there for five minutes during the day, let alone at night. It is just absolute chaos. It kind of reminds me of a far more out of control and with a and with a level of criminality, back how the Salmonats used to be. Uh, if you went down there with your cars, there were people just doing burnouts and people getting run over uh, by people doing crazy things in cars, and they they clamped down on that. But, I mean, there was the accidental aspect of that, never any bad intent or criminality. But what's going on up in Alice Springs, all these stolen cars going around, people getting run over, people getting hurt, um, uh, buildings being vandalised, cars being burned, it is utter chaos. The police cannot cope. The jails cannot cope. We were talking about the uh, the jail up that way with young offenders, uh, typically 18 to 22 years of age, uh, trying to burn the place to the ground, their beds included. And um, I just say we need some strong action. We need some mandatory uh, sentencing. And that would fix that. And we also need a cashless welfare system up where all this is happening. Because I would suggest if you can't get your hands on alcohol, very hard to trade it in for an Uber voucher, uh, very hard to trade it in on a week's accommodation. That's probably not going to happen. So if you can do that, it was working rather well before, as well as one could hope with a piss weak government, whether it be the LNP or, of course, Labor, but Labor being the worst half of that particular duopoly, but I don't know how long we're going to put up with it. And again, a resounding no to that, a resounding no to people like Woolworths who say no to us. And the $2 shop is back. The $2 shop is about as Aussie as it gets. And you should support your local $2 shop because all of them, everywhere that I've been, have uh, they're just inundated with 
with Australia Day merchandise. They want you to celebrate Australia Day. They're here. They appreciate what Australia has given them and they're giving back to you, the community. And how do you fix that? You go and support what they are doing. Some terrific guests this hour. I'm going to be talking to uh, Jerry Gray. He is a former British and Australian police officer. He's lived in China for 18 years and he cycled twice to uh, to um, China's Xinjiang region. So he's a region. He's been living there and he knows all about it. And he also knows about the lies that they tell us about China. They want you to view China as this, this big bully, this enemy. I see China with, and this is without Jerry telling me, and I assume he is going to tell me this, um, that they're not the bully they seem to be. They're a group who stand up for themselves, for their own culture. If they, they take advantage of Australia, they didn't take it. It was a situation given to them that should never have been given, never have been offered, like the ports, the holes and wires, all of that, everything they own here, they didn't take. Somebody here offered it to them at a pittance and they would have been stupid not to take it. I don't think that they are quite as bad as they were. And don't forget, um, and I'll, I will get them on. I'll get the two fellas who would now be in their 30s, who I spoke to when they were in their early 20s, who did that documentary called The Haircut. They went over to um to North Korea and they went they were there for about uh 10 six days they were there for six days did a 20 minute documentary you can get it on YouTube it's 193,000 likes it's had two point something 2.9 million views and it's had about 137,000 people leave comments about it these two young fellows and I would typically describe them if my memory serves me right from the last time that I interviewed them back in 2017 or might have been 2016 um you could probably say that they were left-wing you know they were uni students but they weren't having a bar of it they weren't going to believe all the utter nonsense and it has been utter nonsense and almost like they're having a lender view just to see if you will believe this stuff and it's just they go overboard just to try and test you so everything that they ever told me about north korea i didn't believe uh and certainly when it comes to china and there was another fella i'd like to talk about called serpent za s-e-r-p-e-n-t-z-a uh the za pertaining to uh, south africa i would imagine where he is originally from now this guy when he was living with his chinese wife in China for a long, long time. He was one of the most popular Caucasian uh, people who lived in China who was doing these videos telling you just how wonderful China was. He would warn you of the occasional scam in China. But apart from that, he said it was brilliant as long as he was living there and made quite a good living when you have a look at how much, uh, how far his YouTube revenue would have gone in China, certainly a lot further than here or in the US. So he did pretty well, but eventually, he got let into the States. He's now living in the States. And so what he's done, he's completely did a backflip on China. And apparently it, there was nothing good about it. It was all bad. Everything's horrific. And that's what he's doing now. So I don't know whether he's just very ungrateful for the time that he spent in China or whether his view has legitimately changed because I, I don't hear him saying historically it was good, just that it's dreadful now. And uh, the insinuation is that it always has been when he used to advocate for it. So I don't know how seriously I'm going to take anybody who's telling you that something's wonderful while they're there. And I used to watch a lot of his videos. And yes, I have invited him onto the program because I'd like to quiz him on it. You know, did China change or did you change because you no longer have to uh, succumb to the narrative that you are supposed to? Is it your social credit score that you no longer have to keep happy over in China? I don't know, but I'd love to know. And we'll, we'll be talking to Jerry Gray about China and how it really is from someone who's living there right now. Tony Wakem, I'll be talking to him about Julian Assange and a very last ditch effort to um, it's it's now or never. Pretty much his mental health has deteriorated to a point where his uh, solicitor is suggesting he may well suicide 
suicide. Uh, he's got a bunch of uh, conditions, autism being one of them, mental health disorders. And why wouldn't you after so many uh, years under, you know, basically house arrest? He's done far more years than he ever should have for the crime. And that was at his own, at his own organised. You know, so anyway, we'll be talking to Tony Wakeham about that and uh, hopefully we'll get a resolution. Anthony Albanese recently visiting over there and uh, saying that he's advocating for his return, asking. You don't ask, Anthony, you tell. Do you want us to buy those frigging submarines? Well, you let our guy go and we'll have a big bit of a think about it. Maybe you should watch that Love Actually movie uh, in that scene where um, Billy Bob Thornton plays the American president and Hugh Grant, I do believe, is the British prime minister and he's mad as hell, doesn't take it anymore and gets a resounding round of applause and rallies his own people. Wouldn't that be nice if you could do that, Anthony Albanese? But no, you can't because you don't have any ticker. Simple as that. At TNC Radio, we never go home. We are committed to bringing you our take on the biggest topics of our time. We broadcast live 24-7 online globally, no matter what. And we've got you covered here at TNT. Clashing on the controversies. It's a woke society and I am fed up with it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. It is at this point, very early over there in the UK, that I cross over to the wonderful Gemma Cooper. G'day, Gemma. How are you going? Good morning. Hello, good morning. Yes, doesn't the weekend go fast? You're so right about that. You blink and you miss it sometimes. It doesn't matter if it's a weekend or a long weekend. Even, um, you know, my wife's a school teacher and she gets six weeks off every uh, Christmas time. And it's a blink of an eye from not just her perspective, but from mine as well. That whole, if it's good, it goes quick. If it's not so good, it tends to, to drag on, does it not? It does. And here in the UK, apparently this is the worst uh, day of the year. They call it Blue Monday. Uh, and it's, it's you're halfway through January and you've got no one's got any money. Christmas is over. The weather's freezing cold. There's a huge cold snap here in the UK that's set to last all week. So it is called Blue Monday. And apparently this is the day uh, in the UK where everyone books a holiday. It's like the highest bookings of the year for everyone just going online <laughs> and thinking, I can't take it anymore. Loads of people probably booking to go to Australia and places where there's loads of sunshine and everyone's like nice and um yeah so that's today it's blue monday here in the uk but you have to ask yourself you know when something's on doing the rounds on on uh, the mainstream media and the mainstream media is telling you it's blue monday it's blue monday then how much of it is kind of like influencing your thought patterns whereas you might have just got on with your day beforehand but because the message is being relentlessly pumped out at you just like what we saw you know three or four years ago um how much is that affecting the psyche do you know what i mean how much of it yep. is actually behavior control, I suppose, in a, in, a, in a nutshell. I think there are people who understand inherently, you know, the basic psychology of, I won't say all people, because some of us, I would say most of us listening here or watching TNT right now are very different. We're the ones who who don't have that, that res automatic respect for authority. We don't automatically believe everything we're told we do question, but a significant percentage of the population do. There are those who run the, the place globally who understand that. And if they tell you that you saw something enough times, despite the fact that you didn't see it, you will eventually believe it. Like people that tell a lie long enough, the saying that you will end up believing your own BS if you tell it long, long enough. And I told, I, I've never really lied, but I did have a story that I used to, from when I was young, I used to embellish a little bit. And I literally got to the point where until a mate reminded me, I couldn't remember what the actual version was and what was my embellished version. So I've learned to not do that because over time, the two get very mixed up. And if that can happen to something you made up yourself, it can happen to anybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, you tell a lie long enough, it becomes the truth, and then you can't remember, and then you get caught out. That's what happens about lies. Eventually, 
you will get found out, I think, which kind of leads me on to uh, the story of the day. I mean, this week, I think, will be dominated by, you know, the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos. It gets it kicks off in Switzerland in just a few hours time. And uh, it's very interesting, some of the language that's been used already to talk about what's uh, going to be es essentially going on. That's what we're going to be told is going on. Uh, who knows behind real closed doors there what they will be discussing. But um, it's interesting, this year's theme of the of the meeting of uh, global leaders and entrepreneurs and social media people all of all of the kind of great and good of our society allegedly uh, but the theme is rebuilding trust and you kind of think yeah well you've got a lot of work to do to rebuild <laughs> trust between the the people at the bottom and the and the and the so-called great and good meeting in davos this week uh, the the word last year they were talking about the theme of the, the conference was polycrisis um rebuilding trust i think shows that they realize that the fabric of society is irrevocably broken down down, uh, due to the events so, uh, it's 2020 onwards you know people are seeing without a doubt and, and the post office crisis in, in in the scandal rather in this country over the last few weeks also shows the irrevocable breakdown between those at the top who rule us and the people at the bottom it really has brought it into effect that you know that we can't put any trust in any institution whatsoever um, so we've got uh, 60 heads of state there um, but also 100 governments loads of organizations um, the forums one thousand partnership companies there's just everybody basically but Borge Brende if that's how you pronounce his name properly the current president of the WEF at a pre-meeting last week a kind of briefing he said this annual meeting this one this year 2024 will serve as an accelerator of public private co co cooperation and collaboration public private partnerships communitarianism he said but also this is interesting it will deepen the connections between leaders so basically it's the one big global club the we're not in uh, and they're going to do what they want. What is really interesting as well, and this is trending on social media this morning, is this is this mysterious disease X that everybody is talking about. And, you know, allegedly it doesn't exist yet, but it could. So let's try and make a vaccine for it. And at Porton Down in Wiltshire, which is one of the government's top secret uh, military kind of research uh, uh, sites, uh, Porton Down, they've actually let the mainstream media in there. They let the BBC in to see how it was making this vaccine for a disease that doesn't exist yet. But the World Economic Forum are going to be talking about it this week because at one point it could exist and we know it could exist. An unknown pathogen could exist and it's going to it could kill 20 times more people than the last uh, virus, coronavirus, COVID, scamdemic. Um, it doesn't exist yet, but it could do. We're already making a vaccine. They're going to talk about that this week. It will be on the agenda. It's all very kind of nefarious. Like, for, you know, everybody's suddenly talking about a disease that doesn't exist. People are trying to make a vaccine for a disease that doesn't exist. Mm, strikes me that that's a, that's a disease will be upon us, you know, within the next, what, two to five years? Um, and everyone, we knew about this, we knew about this. But anyway, the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos gets underway in just a few hours' time. I think we'll probably be talking about this quite a few times this week. There'll be some little nuggets that come out of it that we can seize on and we'll know exactly what it means, people like us who think for ourselves, uh, rather than the kind of sanitised version of what the mainstream media are allowed to tell us. And, and it'll be like what goes on behind the closed doors, behind the closed doors, that really will matter. And we'll never be party to those conversations but at least we can keep an eye on it here at TNT. Yeah, it really is horrific. I mean, there they are uh, getting this vaccine for a non-existent virus. It's a bit like, you know, you own a restaurant. I'm going to put 10 new staff members on next week and I'm going to get some monogrammed shirts with their name on them, despite the fact that I don't know who they are yet.
So, I mean, good luck with that. And when they say we're going to rebuild trust, that's what they say. What I hear is they're going to ramp up the lies and they're going to come up with some new ones. And I think that's pretty much what we've come to expect, Jim. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ramping up the lies. Uh, like you say, you know, you tell a lie long enough. I think probably everything that comes out of the World, world Economic Forum's mouth, you just invert it, don't you? Whatever they say, it's the opposite. Um, we, we we know that. So many people globally know that. You know, these big shadowy uh, collective institutions of world leaders and, and, and other companies and public-private partnerships and all the deals that are done, they're never for our benefit. And, and when they're, when we're told it's for our benefit, it's nothing more than a big fat lie. But as we just said, Big fat lies get caught out. Yep, they certainly do. And it reminds me a bit of 9-11. There were people standing outside the Pentagon who swear that a plane didn't hit it. It was some sort of missile. But when they're presented and told that it was a plane long enough, they then start to second guess themselves and think. And then, of course, you get that footage and it kind of backs up what they said in the first place. But we could go on. We could go on. We could think of a million examples of just that. Gemma Cooper, um, I won't be joining you next hour. You will be joining our new person, Sonia Poulton. And, of course, you'll be joining me here tomorrow at TNT. And I look forward to it. Me too. See you tomorrow, Dean. I'll see you then. Everybody stick around. Coming up after the break, we've got Jerry Gray here at TNT. TNT Radio's Hervoy Morich. Approximately 650,000 Ukrainian men aged 18 to 60 have left Ukraine for Europe since the start of the war. It's a tough spot if your country is being invaded. Uh, that's one thing, and you're a, a male and a citizen. Um, but you know, if the war, if it's a globalist war, I wouldn't want to participate in these banker globalist wars and. Most of them just uh, are. Hervoy Morich on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. When I had my heart event close to four years ago, I was at the gym, thought I deserve a coffee, and thought I'll top up with fuel, ordered a coffee. But while I was pumping fuel, I started to get chest pains. Then it got worse and worse and worse. So then I was leaning on the counter thinking, yeah, something's not quite right. So then I went to wait for the coffee and that's when it really, really hit. And Joy just, you know, mouthed, do you need an ambulance? And I remember nodding. I wasn't even thinking about a heart attack. I just thought, something is seriously wrong with me here. So when the cardiologist came to see me, she informed me that I'd had what they call a widow-maker heart attack. Bit of a shock when someone says, you know, you nearly died. <laughs> Everybody should be aware of all the symptoms of a heart attack that women can have that aren't typical of the shoulder pain, the right arm pain. I go to the gym, I do yoga, Pilates, I swim, I go on bike rides, and yet I still had a heart attack. You just don't know it could be you. Are you sitting comfortably? Oh, yes, yes. Then I'll begin. Even when you're just sitting around, we're rocking the talk. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And welcome back to the program. I'm looking very much forward to interviewing this man. His name is Jerry Gray, a former British and Australian police officer. He's lived in China for 18 years now. He's cycled twice to the Xinjiang region. I hope I got the pronunciation of that right. So not only is he fit, he's certainly fit to be a good judge of what a good or bad place China is, and certainly to tell us if the a picture that they paint in the Western media of China is accurate or not. Let's have a find out off Jerry Gray. G'day, Jerry. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for the invite. Just Wait, a correction. I was never I was never a police officer in Australia, just the UK. I was in the security industry in Australia. There you go. Mate, mate, close enough. And I would suggest that the security in this country, especially in Melbourne, are probably doing a better job than our police are. 
down in Victoria. Um, anyway, mate, um, you've lived there for 18 years. I, I want to talk about this guy and just to put things in perspective, you'd probably be aware of him. Uh, a Caucasian uh, expat South African named Serpent ZA. He's got a reasonably strong following and I used to follow him when he lived in China. He advocated for it highly. He'd warn you of a few scams, but say apart from that, it's terrific. After he moved and only after he moved, to America, did he change his story? Completely changed. Did a polar back, polar 180 backflip. I've been hanging to get him on the program to ask him: Did China change, or did he change? Because, mate, I would take. I'm going to take your view of it as a much more accurate painting. Because I'm, I'm a bit worried about people who can speak so highly of a place, and then as soon as they move out of it, their whole story changes. He'll never come on your show to debate it with you. He won't go onto a debate show. Um, he won't speak to me online. I've got my own uh, YouTube channel as well, and I've asked him if he wants to. No, he won't. Uh, he he says, why should I give you the benefit of my million followers when I personally only have 25,000? So, I mean, as if any of his followers would be interested in what I have to say. They love hearing what he has to say, which is basically just made-up rubbish. Everything he says is made-up rubbish. And you're right. A few years ago, I followed him when he was in China. He was a very, very early not the first, he claims to be the first China vlogger, but certainly he's not that. There's many more before him. But uh, the fact was, he was critical for the right reasons. He would say, you know, this is a problem for expats. And I'd say, yes, it is. He's right. But then he, he started to change. Just before he left, he started to change. He got a bit nasty. Then he based himself in Hong Kong, but pretended he was still in China. Then he went to Los Angeles and still to this day pretends he's in China sometimes. Uh, so you know he he goes to he uses a background of um, Chinese car parks in Chinatown in I think it's San Diego where he's based maybe Los Angeles I'm not sure but yeah certainly he's he's a fraud a complete fraud and he's making a very very large amount of money uh, doing what he's doing he went from having a hundred thousand followers when he was here which is pretty good to having uh, 1.1, 1.2 million followers now. So, yeah, pretty much everything that he says you can take with a, a large dose of salt. Yeah, he likes to bend the truth. I remember him uh, advocating for himself, as you would imagine he does quite often, saying, I train doctors. I'm thinking, oh, that's impressive. You know, you train doctors. And then he said to speak English, which was far less impressive. I mean, I could probably do that. But, you know, but not, by the not, same token, point, I have yeah. done that. I, I've worked in our local hospital and taught them English as well. <laughs> and I've done English competitions with doctors. Yeah, I, he, he was a teacher. There's no doubt about that. He was unqualified as far as I'm aware. In 2016, Chinese government changed the rules and people who were teaching here had to present notarized credentials and a police background check. This was the first time China had ever they policed it. They had these rules, but they never bothered with them. It was always, if you if you had a, a the white face was particularly good. Uh, a lot of people coming over, African-Americans, even Africans coming over here were getting jobs, but they were getting paid less than the white face. And even some people who were Russian would be, were teaching English and very, very badly too. Uh, but because they had the white face, they got paid more than the uh, Asians or the African African looking people. And, and that was that time when he left. And, and that was a lot of teachers left at that period of time. So I would just challenge anybody to say, why did you leave China? Really, why did you leave China? And he says, oh, because it got too authoritarian. China didn't change. It didn't. It hasn't changed. I've been here since 2004. Uh, I'm in my 20th year now, not 18. But yeah, <laughs> the first time we spoke to TNT, it was 18 years. 
So, um, yeah, two decades living in China. China has got better, very much better than it was. It was corrupt. It was polluted. It was very dirty when I came here. And it's certainly not that now. So the only thing I would say about China is there's less crime. Uh, there's less vice, you know, prostitution, gambling, karaoke, TV thing, that, that kind of thing. There's a lot less of that. And for some people, they'd say, well, that doesn't make China a nice place anymore. You know, I used to enjoy the vice, the corruption, the prostitution. Now, if you enjoy that side, that side of it, then go to Thailand or the Philippines. Don't come to China because it's a very traditionalist, modern, uh, it's a very nice society. It has full of cultural tradition and, and it really is a nice place to be. And of course, so, of course yeah, I, I think he's, he's probably upset that he lost some aspect of that kind of life. Yeah, and Jerry, I'm I'm on board with them doing that. I mean, the all that corruption is the cancer that grows and becomes what Western society. I think California is a perfect example. It's a basket case. You've got zombies laying in the street. You know, literal zombies in the street. Um, they're advocating for drugs. They're pushing drugs. They're, you know, I mean, the whole place is just an absolute basket case. So if you can grab that and kill it early on, I think you can protect your culture. You can protect your young people, more importantly. And that's what it's all about. I mean, that's why I think you and I are having this conversation today, because we want to leave the world a better place for the kids than that which we found. There's no such thing as homelessness in China. I mean, you'll see homeless people, but they're people who've fallen through the cracks of the, the mental health. Uh, you know, it's still an underdeveloped country. China, despite the development that it has, it's a massive country that has come from one of the poorest in the world to becoming the second largest economy. There's still a lot of infrastructure and a lot of development. The tax system is underdeveloped. The health system is underdeveloped. The education system is changing now, but it has been underdeveloped. It's, it's really developing now. A lot of things that, if you think about this country as a 70-year-old country, it's, it's done amazing things. And every single aspect, every metric that's measurable is improving inside of China now. Well, I've got a million questions to ask you. I've got the news headlines to do so. Jerry Gray, on the other side of that, we'll get stuck right into it. And you can give us some perfect examples of just some of the huge lies that I would imagine the Western media tells us about China from someone who's been living there for eight years. Everyone, I'm with Jerry Gray. This is TNT. Back after the headlines. Now, TNT Radio News. You are completely obsessed with breaking news. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Israel continues to sow terror among the trapped population in Gaza more than 100 days after invading the besieged territory. Voters in Taiwan have shrugged off warnings from Beijing and re-elected the island's ruling party, which rejects China's territorial claims. And after sending nearly $19 billion worth of military aid to Ukraine, Germany has conceded it has no idea where the weapons have ended up. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT radio. And welcome back to the program. I am with Jerry Gray, a former British police officer, worked in security here in Australia and for 18 years has lived in China. And we're going to get him to dispel a bunch of the lies. Uh, the media having us believe China is this big bully that takes everything it wants I haven't seen them take anything. I've seen our people, our governments give them far more than the Australian people would probably like. But you can't blame China for that, can you, uh, Jerry? China's doing the right thing by its people. It's actually, a lot of people say to me, how much do you get paid by the, 
dreaded CCP for saying these things. The fact is that I haven't received a penny from the government. I, I do write some articles and get paid for that. And I guess ultimately that's government funding because most state media, if I'm published in China, then I'm published by state media and um, they're, they're owned by the government. So I, I guess that it can be said, but the fact is I just came online about three years ago because I just saw so many things wrong. And it started off, I, you mentioned my cycling, and I used to cycle across China. I occasionally still do. I was in Hainan Island about three months ago. And, and you're doing these long-distance cycles. You get to see things, and you get to see the truth of a country. And I put up some pictures about three years ago of a cycle trip through Xinjiang. Xinjiang. And uh, when I was there, I, I was completely bemused by the fact that I expected it to be this kind of totalitarian, authoritarian place. And it's quite the opposite. There's a, there is an enhanced level of security in the region, of course, because there's been terrorist attacks. Then I started finding people coming back to me and saying, but you can't go to Xinjiang. Well, yes, you can. You just get on your bike and ride through it or drive through it or buy a ticket. There is no restrictions on anyone who is allowed to live or stay for a period in China. So if you have a visa to come to China, you can go and have a look at Xinjiang for yourself. It's perfectly free and easy. And you can talk to anyone you want. If you're a Muslim, and I know many Muslims, I have a very good friend who's Ugandan, he's a Muslim, and he came here and he went to Xinjiang and he's unbelievable. He said, I didn't expect this, but I was allowed to go and pray in the mosque and do all the things that I like to do. No problem whatsoever. There is no oppression going on in Xinjiang. There is a high level of security. There is poverty alleviation. There is re-education, vocational training. There is all kinds of, there are all kinds of steps to help the local people to overcome the situation that caused this radicalization. And a lot of that, and this is another problem, a lot of it was paid for by Washington. The National Endowment for Democracy spent thousands, hundreds of thousands inside of Tibet, Xinjiang, Hong Kong, Taiwan. They spend all this money to make life difficult for China because it helps enhance their weapon sales, I guess. I can't think of any other reason why they would be doing this. But if you think about what's the biggest threat that Australia holds right now, it's this fear of some sort of invasion from China. China, China doesn't have an invasive force. It has no ships to invade. It has many ships, but they're defensive. They're Coast Guard ships. <laughs> China has more ships than America, but it has no aggressive ships. It has two aircraft carriers now, which it's done because none of them have ever left Chinese waters. You know, they sail around China. They go, they go from one end of China to the other end, but they don't, they're not, they're not floating around off the coast of America or Australia. They're basically here for the defense of a country that is surrounded by U.S. military. And then the U.S. say to Australians, well, you need to defend yourself against China because they're coming for you. China's not. It's never, it's never expressed any intention. It doesn't want to invade Taiwan. It never has done. It's, it's a thousand years it'll wait. It's already said this clearly. We will wait a thousand years for reunification. But reunification is inevitable, according to the Chinese. And I'm inclined to believe that. So the, everything is misinformation. Everything is misleading. Well, I, I could imagine as someone in Taiwan, I would much rather end up, I think, under the Chinese umbrella than the Western umbrella, because the Western umbrella with democracy comes a game of monopoly where 
that group that we never get to see who operate behind the, the curtain ends up owning everything and selling everything off. That doesn't tend to happen in other countries. I mean, I would advocate highly for, for Japan as well. I mean, some people say, oh, Japan, they're racist. They don't have an immigration policy. I mean, good luck to them. It's their country. It's their culture. They wish to maintain it for forever. And what a wonderful place that would be to visit as well. I would love to visit China. I would love to visit uh, Japanese. All the Chinese and Japanese people I've ever met have been highly intelligent, Terrific people never cause any problems, and I would imagine that's reflected in their their respective societies as well. Day to day life, it's very much like that. China is now the most highly educated country in the world. It's overtaken the United States in that. I think more than sixty percent of high schoolers go into tertiary education now when they graduate high school. Uh, it, it has basically it has built, I think, in ten years, more than two hundred universities in the last 10 years and it's, it keeps doing this it's a country where they thrive on education and the, the, the people are very intelligent so right now china is um, it's innovative too it has more patents than the rest of the world it has more uh, publications in scientific journals than the rest of the world it's introduced more um solar power and green energy than the rest of the world combined. You know, every single thing that you can think about as to whether or not a country is going in the right direction, you look at that metric and then go online. Stay away from media. Go online and look at government-issued or academic papers on it, and you'll find that China is leading the world in every single respect, including trade with Australia. Huge amounts of trade with Australia. And they're buying the coal, they're buying the lobsters, they're buying all the things that your media tell you, they're not doing this anymore. They are still doing it and never stopped doing it. And there was an issue with dirty coal. It's not there anymore. And it was Andrew Wilkie brought this into the House of Parliament. I mean, he, he brought in a report. It was a 30, a 300 page report that proved that China was right. The coal that Australia was sending to China was dirty coal. So that's why you had this problem with coal. It wasn't it wasn't China doing anything wrong. It was Australia trying to cheat China into buying dirty coal. So they were buying clean coal from other places, and now they're buying clean coal from Australia again. Yeah, I've got somebody in the online chat who's written, Dean, Australia's greatest fear from China is if they don't buy our coal and our iron. And I would suggest that is completely true. They're great customers of ours. You know, they, they don't take it. They're, they're happy to pay for it, and they're happy to pay a good rate for it too. There's two issues with that. One is that China is uh, moving away from coal altogether. China now has 50% uh, sustainable renewable energy. So solar power, wind power, water power, nuclear power, all of these things are combining. Now, China is still, people say, but China's still building uh, uh, coal power stations. Well, yes, they are because they have no choice until they hit carbon peak which apparently they did in December last year, seven years early. So they are still buying coal, but they're going to stop. And it may be five years away, but they will stop buying all coal. And the truth is, this is what people don't understand. 2% of China's needs are met by Australia. 40% of Australia's needs are met by China. This is a really, really big disparity. Australia is the only country in the developed world with a trade surplus from China. Everyone else has got a deficit. Australia has a surplus, but it's going to stop. And of course, Jerry, what people have to remember, those who don't like that, 
have to remember it was our politicians who sent all that trade offshore in the first place. So if we find ourselves there and people aren't happy with that, it wasn't the Chinese who did that to us. We did that to ourselves. I would also advocate that um, all those countries that the mainstream media and our politicians uh, have a problem with are the ones that they don't have any control over. Russia, China, North Korea, they simply don't have any puppets over there that they can control, hence why they paint them as the bad guy. So they try and, con and control our perception of them rather than any kind of reality. That's correct. The, um, the the best thing that Australia could probably do, if you think about it now, if you take a look off the east coast of Australia, off Gladstone, uh, off Newcastle, which you'll be familiar with, yep. and a few other places, there, there will be rows of ships lined up to take bits of Australia back to China or Japan, where those bits of Australia, you know, they take away a mountain from the middle of Queensland and it becomes, it's iron ore, and it becomes iron. It becomes steel. They take away bauxite from, from North Queensland and it becomes aluminium or stainless steel. All of these things are being done in China, not in Australia. So Australia is selling shiploads of dirt and then buying back products that it needs. And it still has a, a trade a trade surplus with, with China. So it's doing very, very well because you have a small population. You don't need to buy so many cars or toys or whatever it is that China's selling to you. What you do need to do is to sell them more stuff. Now, what really Australia needs to do is to turn that. It's got great coal reserves. It's got great bauxite, great um, uh, iron ore. And all it needs to do is turn that into something useful. And then Australia will be rich. What, what Australia is doing now is living on borrowed time right now, because when China brings online a, a, a ferrous oxide uh, mine in Congo, I think it's in the Democratic Republic of Congo, when that happens and Brazil is sending iron ore across to China as well, they'll buy less from Australia. When those things happen and they stop using coal, then they'll buy less of that from Australia. Then we're going to start seeing Australia's economy dropping by as much as 40%. 40%, 38% of all the exports from Australia are coming here into China. And yep. that's a real worry for Australia. When you start thinking like that, we're not just talking about jobs. We're talking about huge amounts of government revenue, which will disappear. Now, imagine if you don't have government revenue, you don't have tax. You don't have tax, you don't have services. You don't have services, you have a 1970s economy. That's what Australia is facing if they're not careful. And Jerry, everything you've told me today, the jigsaw puzzle pieces fit much better into the puzzle than anything the mainstream media, uh, you know, has ever told me. And I would suggest that anybody who doesn't believe what you or I are advocating in, in regards to China or uh, possibly even Taiwan or possibly even North Korea, nothing to stop them getting on a plane and going over there and seeing for themselves, because I think that ultimately is the best way. Jerry, we've run out of time. I would have loved to talk more. I've gone about a couple of minutes over. I'd love to get you on the program again and talk about China, mate, because um, there's nothing better than having, you know, someone that's lived in Australia, lived in Britain, who has lived there for 18 years to set the record straight. And I think you may have done that uh, very succinctly. And I, I appreciate you doing it too. Dean, see you next time then. Thank you, everybody. That is Jerry Gray. You can catch him on Twitter um, as Jerry underscore Gray 2002. Do that and uh, a terrific fella and a lot of truth there as well. Thank you, my, my friend. Uh, we're going to get to Tony Wakeham on the other side of the break. So stick around. This is TNT.
Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. So this week we find out that the U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was in the hospital in intensive care for days and days without anybody knowing, not even the President of the United States, which leads to this very good question. Why should we believe anything that this administration tells us about anything ever again? I think we all recognize, and I think the Pentagon has been very, very honest with themselves about uh, the um, the challenge to, to, to credibility by what by what has transpired here and by what and by uh, uh, how, how. Great answer, right? Here's another good question. If the administration is going to go to such great lengths to keep secrets about the defense secretary's health, how can anybody be certain? that the administration would not go to the same lengths to keep secret problems with President Biden's health in the future. I won't bore you with the answer to that one. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Ballsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. While serving in Vietnam, a grenade took my ability to see. Today, I'm a sculptor creating new visions. Now, my fingers are my eyes. As a veteran, I know the challenges of life can be great. In my art, turning a lump of clay into something beautiful, that means a lot to me. Life is like that. We each must use what we can to make things better. DAV helps veterans like Michael get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. Now, I show others how they can create something with their own hands. With support from DAV, more veterans can shape their lives into a thing of beauty. My victory is bringing beauty into the world. Michael Naranjo, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Dean Mackin. Dean Mackin. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Indeed it is. Welcome back to TNT. A couple of comments in the online chat. And then you love it when you see one and it scrolls off. Uh, Matt writes, I lived in China for 19 years, never met such a generous, fun and clever bunch of people as the Chinese. Yep. And here we have a bunch of uh, sellouts in our government telling us and trying to cause a fight. They would love at some point for us to probably go to war to have our kids all kill each other when we, we should be the best of friends. And that would be the case if you didn't have a bunch to advocate for and have profited for decades, possibly centuries, from war working to behind the scenes to limit the world's population, to own everything. And, uh, yep, there is a group who are actually doing that. Everything you don't like about the world uh, is the group who are telling you a bunch of lies. And if you control the media and the politicians, makes it pretty easy to do. I'm going to go with uh, I'll Trust China over our media, that is for sure. And I'll tell you what, you talk, correct me if I'm wrong, who's done more harm to Australia, China or the Australian politicians and the Australian media? And if you think it's the Chinese, how much have they had to do with the change between us here in 1984 and us here in 2024? Nope, that was all the government and with the help of the media. Couldn't have done it without the help of the media. So you make up your own mind.
I think that would be the case. Just very, very quickly as well, uh, dash cam footage always coming out uh, of people and, of course, police using it against people all the time, even where it is a victimless crime, like somebody on the back of the Hobart you know, Hurricanes cricket team holding something in the back of a ute. He didn't fall off. He didn't hit anything. And now people dobbing people in with dash cam footage. Have we become a nation of dobbers? I'd hate to think that we are, nor do I think police uh, should be able to use such footage if they didn't catch them in the act and it's not an official police camera that caught them just let it go but that's just my opinion you may feel differently but when did we become a nation of dobbers uh my next guest terrific fellow i got to uh meet him in person uh down at hyde park when we did the no rally his name is tony wakem he's an active uh an active activist i'll call him for julian assange a supporter and of course uh julian's uh incarceration in her majesty's prison of belmarsh in 2019 is something at the at the forefront of tony wakem's mind he's out there in front of the town hall all the time, you know, telling people, raising awareness of what's happening to Julian Assange. And it really is a do or die last ditch effort to uh, try and get him uh, to stay, well, certainly to uh, stop him from going over to the US. And uh, Tony Wakem is one of the most active people in the world doing that. Tony, welcome to the program. For that very kind uh, um, introduction, Dean. Thank well, you. Well, mate, thank you on behalf of um, everybody who is a supporter of Julian Assange, certainly his family. Mate, his mental health is in just a horrific state, a man who uh, it is reported has autism and, I mean, as well, and a bunch of other anxieties. And why wouldn't you after spending all those years, far more years under a self-imposed house arrest to avoid extradition to America, a bunch of trumped-up uh, crazy charges coming from other countries, the world, you know, the, the usual suspects out to get him, making up lies. Why? Because he told the truth. Correct. Absolutely correct. But he's exposed them. In doing so, they've exposed themselves, I should say. I mean, there's no greater example of the corruption in the Western world at the moment than what's happening to Julian Assange for the last 13 years. I, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a fantastic demonstration of the absolute, well, Julian estimates 98% of our governments, media and judiciary is corrupt, 98%. And, but you can feel that these days, can't you? Because back in the days where they had to work behind the scenes, where they had to do deals and where they hid, now they just out and out tell you what they're up to. I mean, they, they're no longer hiding. The fact that we have a government that is a duopoly is now, I don't think, a secret to anybody. People used to call you a conspiracy theorist if you spoke about global governance and now they proudly advocate that that's exactly what we have and they're just pushing it further and further. Julian um, exposed all of that in the early days when other people still thought it was complete craziness and here we find ourselves in 2024 at least as bad off as anybody might have ever imagined well it's just blatant it is just absolutely blatant and anybody that denies what's going on is seriously asleep i mean you've really got to bury your head in the sand to miss what's going on in the world today and um, but look i personally believe that the majority of people are at least awake to some of the nonsense going on and that ultimately they'll become fully aware and then it's all over for that 0.01 percent who are trying to control the world i mean they're outnumbered a million to one to my estimation 
Mate, it's really horrific. I mean, he's already spent more than 13 years under, again, uh, a form of house arrest, uh, a penalty far more than he should ever have got. I, I would suggest maybe a slap on the wrist. Uh, of course, he faces uh, 175 years in prison, 17 espionage charges, and, of course, uh, an extra one there just as a backup, a charge of computer misuse if he gets extradited to uh, the US. And for those saying, well, hey, maybe Donald Trump will get elected, maybe Donald Trump will issue him a pardon, well, Donald Trump had his chance didn't he? And he didn't do anything. Look, Donald Trump's already exposed himself. And Julian recently said in a release that both Donald Trump and, and Barack Obama, quote, are wolves in sheepskin, is the way Julian put it. Um, I call it wolves in sheep's clothing, but it's the same thing. And they're the most dangerous animals of all. If you see a wolf, you know how to behave. If you see somebody dressed up in sheep's clothing, it's deceptive and misleading. So they're the dangerous ones. So Donald Trump and, uh, and Barack Obama are very, very dangerous animals. And Tony, I mean, I've actually got proof. I've got a recording of every radio program I've ever done on commercial radio, with the exception of maybe one week where their logging machine was broken. But I certainly have the audio of me saying that exactly word for word, as you described it, a wolf in sheep's clothing uh, of Donald Trump before he was ever elected. And um, whilst he did great stuff for America, I would suggest all he did was everything that any fair income conservative would have done, certainly didn't go anywhere near as far enough uh, as far as immigration and a bunch of other policies. But that Operation Warp Speed, I mean, uh, could well be, as it turns out, one of the most horrific crimes ever committed on humanity and the upcoming decade will prove whether I'm right about that or not. I fear that I am right. I hope I'm not. But uh, certainly people have a lot. You, you may have built half a wall. You may have improved the economy. But if you ended up putting poison into 70% of the population, um, you're not in my good books anymore, that's for sure. Yeah, look, the other stuff is what's called virtue signalling. It's how they get away with this nonsense. They say they say something that sounds good, you know, it sounds like it's doing good for somebody with one hand and with the other hand they're stabbing them in the back. And Donald Trump did that on, you know, at a ferocious rate. And let's not forget it was Donald Trump's administration that put Julian in Belmarsh prison in the first place, you know, and, and applied the charges. Donald Trump is, is, is no friend of Julian Assange. I can absolutely assure you of that. And, Four and, of and he's, no, he's no friend of the people. And Jerry, there are plenty of people just like him. I mean, all those who are proud advocates of uh, conservatism here in Australia, those who love Pauline Hanson, for example, used to say, oh, and I love Tony Abbott, not knowing full well that he was the guy that, that put her in jail. I mean, people have very short memories and they don't like to, to delve in those to those other little things. And don't forget to look good. You've only got to look better than your opposition. And of course, um, you know, with Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden being that opposition, you don't have to be too terrific to come up smelling roses, do you? Well, look, anybody that gets into that position is chosen for that position. They have no power. They are puppets. They obey orders. It's as simple as that. They're, they're, they're clowns on a stage performing tricks for the audience to distract us from what's really going on behind the scenes. Let's not forget the position of, you know, it's like the media. They're just a mouthpiece of propaganda. And the judiciary, they're all acting under orders. And we know that from Julian's case over the 13 years of trials that he's been through. It's a, it's a, they're all show trials. They're all kangaroo courts. It's so obvious to the, to the observer. And of course, that uh, 
That, that clown show's kicked off today. The US primaries, it actually kicks off today. Uh, it's going to run over the next few months. And again, uh, you know, we've it's always either one side of their duopoly, the Democrats or the Republicans. You know, we had people that were a bit too fair income, Robert F. Kennedy, uh, possibly. So he's going to be there as basically an independent uh, with virtually no chance. Uh, uh, Ron DeSantis may be there. But mate, I, I would suggest, and I, I don't know if I trust him after a recent overseas visit that he had to a particular country that's in the news a lot lately. Um, but I would rather have a Ron DeSantis there than a Donald Trump. And I would suggest that Julian Assange would have a far better chance of getting a pardon, should that be the case. Look, the President of the United States of America does not have the power, nor does the Prime Minister of Australia. These people are puppets. They are controlled with strings on their arms. They have no power whatsoever in my opinion. You know, the world's being run by other than those clowns on the stage. And when Julian becomes a liability, which he's fast becoming to that deep state, to that parasite class, I call them, um, that's when they'll let him go. Yeah, and he's, and fast, he's fast becoming that because he's exposing people looking into this matter of, of finding out what's really going on in the world. And as I yep. say, they're outnumbered one million to one, according to my arithmetic. Oh, Tony, I, I couldn't agree more. But the other thing as well, I mean, people have to remember that we sent this uh, uh, this delegation, Anthony Albanese and co, going over there and asking, asking if they could, uh, um, you know, do the right thing by Julian Assange. And I would suggest maybe he should have told them to do something, not not ask. Uh, we had that whole AUKUS deal, which we will not do well by, and again, could have used that as a massive bargaining chip. And uh, Anthony Albanese, uh, Albanese could have bought himself a few uh, points in the equation because not many people seeing him with any strength whatsoever. He had his chance and he failed dismally. Oh, look, I was on town hall steps the other day asking the audience, of which there would have been a thousand people, if there was anyone out there, put your hand up, please, if you support Anthony Albanese. And I pleaded with the audience. I got a couple of kids who were mucking around who came up, um, but they, you know, they were just joking around. I could not find in, a, in, a, in an audience of a thousand people one person supporting Anthony Albanese. I mean, he's a dead duck. He, he, he doesn't have a snowflake's chance in hell of winning at the next election. There'll be a change of government at the next election and we'll get, you know, the flip side of the same coin and they'll continue this, this nonsense. Um, you know, we've all got to wake up to this and, 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 you know, there's got to be some sort of rising up of the people, you know, maybe a massive informal vote where none of us vote at all in an election. We just show complete disregard for our electoral system and the candidates. But look, I personally think there's never going to be another majority government in this country. I think we're now going to go for the independents and I think the independents will, will, will have a minority government and history shows us that minority governments are actually when good things get done in this country. Um, so I look forward to the next election election revealing a minority government. So I urge everybody to not vote for Labor, Liberal, Nationals or Greens or the Teals, Lees out there. Do not give any of them your votes. Mate, I could not agree more. Uh, of course, if you wanted anybody to put their hand up for Anthony Al Albanese, you would have had to stay on that train and get off at perhaps Newtown or Marrickville with those green and purple-haired gits uh, that just get it wrong each and every time. And no, those people are... 
they, they were in the audience and none of them put their hands up. No, look, I was hoping that I was hoping maybe a cousin or something was out there. You know, he might have a relative out there that might do it up, but nah, not one person. I was going to no, say maybe look for a funny-looking person with a banjo. That being the case, mate. Um, of course, it's his last chance. This appeal is in February. Is literally going to be his last chance to avoid extradition. Yeah, but look, I don't think America's going to want him on their shores. It's an election year, and they don't want him there because they've got Tucker Carlson really broadcasting the message to America. America's being woken up big time. And also RFK Jr.'s standing up for him too. Not that I trust RFK Jr. with a, you know, as far as I could throw him. But the point is he's getting media now in America. And the fact that he's getting media, if he ends up on American soil, so my prediction for this, um, he'll be granted this appeal. He, a date will not be set, and they'll just stretch it out for another year. The whole of 2024, Julian will be, you know, sitting in um, His Majesty's prison, Belmarsh, waiting for the date for that appeal to be heard. Um, and then that'll drag out, you know. It, it, look, it's, it's lawfare. He's serving his sentence. And he served his sentence now for 13 years. It's punishment by by abuse of process. Um, it is it is a death by a thousand cuts. Tony Wakem. Tony Wakem, of course, you can catch people. Uh, he'll be around the city on the town hall steps all the time. A man who is a strong advocate and a staunch conservative, somebody I've been very proud to have on my program. Tony, thanks for joining us today. I've got to go in about five seconds, mate, and uh, we'll catch up. Pleasure, Dean. Thank you. Everybody hang around. We've got a brand new person coming up, Sonia Poulton, next here at TNT. I'll catch you tomorrow.